You're trying to do too much with your life. It's part of my New Year's resolutions to do less. Are you serious or are you like fucking with me? I think I have to. I don't to. think you do New Year's resolutions. I think I might have to. I'm pretty sure I remember you not being a resolution type of guy. I think it's more that regardless of whether there was a moment to have a New Year's resolution, I was probably going to naturally come to this conclusion. And just by by sheer f- forces around me, probably had to do it anyways. Yeah. It just so happens to be the end of the year. Exactly. Regardless, at this stage in your life, you need to I, scale back. I think it's because of the end of year, and usually what happens is, is that people are trying to finalize and just get that last little push before the end of the year. Like it's, it's you know, leftover budgets. It's whatever. They need to spend it. So for better or worse, it's like it falls on your lap. Falls on your lap. Our lap. You. Us. You're busy. Yes. Anyways, you're not so busy because kids are on holidays. No, I'm not so busy. Yeah. Uh, kids are on holidays. I have to hand in my grades and I have to prepare for the next term, but I am significantly less busy than I was like two weeks ago. Nice. Weeks ago when we were like in the midst of finals. This is Making It Up, episode 196, co-hosted by myself, Sharice Poon, and Eugene Can. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Macon, which is original storytelling at its purest, through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. Making It Up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex, intertwined world we live in. We try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really we are working through things and we appreciate you working through them with us. Making Up is supported by our generous Patreon members. To help us keep going, consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash for Discord access, shop discounts, exclusive newsletters, and more. Let's get into it. So Eugene and I, for this episode are doing a bit of a year-end wrap-up. Last year we did this. Last year we did it on a personal take. We talked about sort of how we were feeling at the end of the year and the biggest lessons we learned. Uh, This year we decided we were going to do top moments from creative culture. Is it top moments or is it more like... Significant moments? No, I don't mean top, like favorite. Anyway, what I was trying to say is if this was a personal recap, then we would be talking a whole lot about me teaching because that was like a really significant change for me this year. However, it's not meant to be a personal episode talking about things that happened. Oh, I was going to do a little bit of both. I thought we were doing external. We've now fallen out of sync. Sharice and I aren't even on the same way. No, 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 no. We communicated about this all of three hours ago so that that's when this uh plan formed yeah anyways should real, we just jump real right into working it ahead i have notes i have actual notes did you i notes? wrote point form things I'm surprised mine you, are all I'm macro you wrote anything at all dude i i feel like i i don't even do you ever surprise yourself <laughs> with like a, beha- with like, a like a behavioral moment where you're like oh that's out of character for me to do that no, not really. Yeah, okay. Then it's. I mostly behave exactly within character. Is that good or bad? I'm, I'm trying, I can't figure that out. I think it knows. I'm so predictable, but it's also maybe because, I mean, 
trust and predictability aren't bad. I think I know myself. Oh, so yeah. I don't do things out of character to myself. <laughs> We're so boring. <laughs> I've been thinking about that so much. I'm like, oh, it's, it's, if you spend any sort of time with me, then you probably, relative success, know my thoughts on things. Could and we kind of have three overlap? You say your list. All right. My five topics, I think the financialization of everything, where financialization of community, JPEGs, everything, stocks, like obviously stocks are, is a financial instrument to begin with, but just like how deeply entrenched everyone is. Um, the emergence of Discord, not necessarily that it was, it's a new thing, it's more about how popular it's become. Uh, forced localization. I mean, maybe that's actually more of a thing for us where because we can't really travel, you know, obviously in other countries and other parts of the world, people can travel relatively freely. Potential consequences versus us being stuck here and also having an outcome because of that, whether it's safety or whatnot. The acceleration of the metaverse because of, I mean, ultimately it's, it's, it's the coronavirus that has sort of pushed the importance and growth of the metaverse. Um, I guess asterisks around that because I think it's still TBD. I think for me, most people's perception of what it will be is probably not what will happen. Right. Um, and then the last one, I think these, uh, airspaces, you know, airspaces was often meant to be this place that was sort of shared globally. But I wonder in light of that localization movement that things will now sort of look inwards. And I think design trends and all that stuff might not take on the same global trend movement as it did in the past. I don't really understand that last one. That well, seems well, basically, very similar to no, the localization one. It is, it is. But it's also, I think it's two things. One is like a behavioral change where you start looking inwards. But then I think the byproduct of that on a global level is because we're no longer referencing, you know, I think the really famous Kyle Jacob piece where he talked about how that Brooklyn cafe aesthetic is now available oh, globally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. I got you. I got you. I'll say my list of five and tell you which ones are kind of overlapping. The main overlapping one is the I grouped NFTs and metaverse together. As I, a kind I deliberately of, didn't say NFT because it was like it, was, it fell more within financialization. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. I, I grouped NFT and metaverse together, but you could separate them and NFTs would be equivalent to your financialization of everything and metaverse, you know, obviously the same. You said metaverse. I also have the confirmation of hybrid work, mixed working modes and necessary as we continue to be physically grounded. So same as you for localization. And then I think there's a bit of a divergence. I actually have, sorry, I have six things. Oh my God. Some How dare are, you? Some of them are very Six? specific. One is uh, Unreal Engine 5. Yeah. You had some I moments have Unreal and Engine 5. Virgil's passing. Very specific thing um, in tech slash gaming entertainment. I have the reinvention of cable as streaming becomes more diverse and competitive. And I have Virgil Abloh's passing as well as the author, teacher, Bell Hooks passing away. Um, I mean, many other people also passed away in 2021, but I kind of grouped this together as significant cultural figures who passed away unexpectedly. 
and a bit of an early loss. So that's the overview of our things. So how do you want to talk about them uh, a little bit more? Let's just stop it there. I think we're good. (laughs) All right. Let's wrap it up. Short, short ep today. I actually think that, you know, in light of the, the things that I highlighted, a lot of it just came down to what I think are going to be potentially like generationally shifting moments or generational shifts where it's not like, oh, it's a trend. It actually might shift behavior and mindsets. Sure. Uh, Which one do you think? I mean, Which one would you definitely say? I think the financialization of everything now is like, it's crazy because, you know, as, as I start to think more and more about it, like obviously in this current time and place we're in right now, I think that the, it's almost like the only thing we can agree upon is like making money, right? So your ability to jump on a, you know, a PFP, like a profile picture project to buy an NFT is arguably less around like, you know, the artwork itself. It's more about, hey, I think there's an opportunity for this to appreciate in value. So I think that, that that obviously is unifying a lot of things. It's like GameStop, it's AMC, it's like trading stocks. I think all that is coming to a head. And I, I, feel, I find that if it's done properly, it can potentially find alignment in terms of achieving a goal. But I think that it's hard for you to create a project without this. And I think that because more and more people at a younger age are becoming more familiar with the role of finance in our lives, which, you know, it was always a case, but it's just like, now you don't have to wait until you're like, you know, 25 and like renting a, something for the first time. It's like, oh, you can actually be subjected to it and exposed to it like at a much earlier age, right? I kind of use this example actually, you know, which is a big macro trend too, is I always felt that by virtue of you being able to buy and resell Supreme, because in some ways reselling Supreme is like the financialization of culture, right? Reselling is like financialization of culture. The earlier you get into it, the earlier you get out of it too, because not everyone's going to be like a lifelong reseller. Like some people will do it for a long time, but you know, if you start at your, when you're 12, instead of when you're like 22, you get out of it faster. You move on to new things. Yeah. Right. So I think that's actually something that's having a significant impact in the way that we look at the world around us. And, you know, I, I, it seems like everything is defined by like a price, a cost. And you brought this up last time. It was like, we're not at a time in place when the moment is not necessarily the experience from buying something. It's, it's the moment of purchase. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I, in I'm, a strange <laughs> way, I find, I can see a connection between the financialization of everything and what I said about work having turned into something different. Like I also, we didn't really talk about this, but I also picked mine in not just because of something that happened this year, but whether I thought this was going to continue to have an effect on the future. And I think now that it's been two years of pandemic living, we can see that work has definitely changed form. Like it's not going back to the office buildings there is no date when that's like snaps back to 2019 you know pre-pandemic and the the connection i see between financialization of everything and the way work has shifted is that as the model of work changes what has happened is sort of expanded to take over any aspect of life Mm -hmm. so rather than 
the idea of like work and making money being restricted to this like one office building that you go to nine to five work can be anything that you do at any moment and it can be your hobbies and your passions and whatever you're doing on your phone like on the train it doesn't have to take place in an office yeah Um, and something that's quite interesting is that like instead of moving towards eugene knows that i'm anti-work we almost talked about being anti-work today and instead of culture as a whole moving away from money it's like we've moved away from work but towards any type of money making yeah which is the actually something i was going to jump on as a discussion point it seems as though right now we're seeking out the path of least resistance to make the most money possible which hopefully you know contributes to a bunch of other things where it's like hey i it allows me to focus right because ultimately money and in many ways is like an ability for you to focus because it takes the pressure off from somewhere else yeah so i i mean man it's just so interesting because i think if you met me five years ago ten years ago especially the very start of making it was such a romantic art project in a way where the financialization of culture was something that was inherently not interesting i would say it's still not interesting because it's it's somehow it 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 changes the trajectory or something and it's probably something i've said before but i think i always wonder like even my wife was like oh do you think like you'd be in a different place if you like were far more commercially minded you know at a younger age i'm like i don't know because there's the potential of people recognizing the work you've done free of free of financial i guess i don't know i i think when you create work that is clearly not financially motivated or doesn't appear to be so then i especially during that point in time in this sort of cultural i guess lineage i think it's perceived differently versus like you know obviously today it's it's still impossible for you to lead and get a mcdonald's sponsorship on day five of becoming a youtuber but i think the earlier that happens because of you know you might have a massive following i think that it definitely will change the type of product or 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 what you create well, I think your wife asks an interesting question, and obviously we can't go back and wonder what younger Eugene and Sharice would have been like. But from my position, I hazard a guess that if 10 to 15 years ago I had been very financially minded, not only would my work be different, but I think I as a person would be different. And I'm not trying to say that Young people today who are very focused on financialization are somehow like worse people. I just think that my character would be different yeah. if that had been my motivation in creating work. Yeah, like if I can ask you a question, I think that for do you think that the allure of of financial success often pushes you to do things that might not necessarily be in your personal interest? And an example would be like all these YouTubers that create content how many of them, you know, encounter burnout because like, hey, you know what? They need to be there to keep the algorithmic machine going. Yeah. And I think it to goes, get paid. I think it goes deeper than that as well, is that if you are very money focused and as a creator going for that money, you fall into comparing yourself to other creators, yeah. being very competitive you find yourself I have to stop you though. I think for sure that it's not this or that either, right? You have to just find the balance. Like obviously you can. Yeah, yeah. It's not like you don't turn to the dark side and become like a Batman villain and 
there are very many wealthy and also like well-adjusted people out there. Yeah. I just do think that creatives who become quite driven towards financial success as a metric can wind up, you know, having these negative feelings. Like I had this, I had these notes in uh, the Dropbox paper and I said, yeah, like it seems since, since we started Adam Studios in 2019, every year has been better and better, like more projects, like clients that anyone would be proud of. But I, I think that at some point, you know, it doesn't necessarily translate into the overall happiness because it, it just goes back to this thing. That I think it's you mean this, the overall personal happiness, like you, Eugene, as a person. I it's tough. Like whose happiness are we talking about? Just like, you know, how you personally feel coming out. Because I, I think that we we look back at because I have like a project numbers. Right. And I'm like, oh, man, like in the last three years, we've done like, let's say 70 projects, like no lie, probably like 60, 70 projects. And you don't even have time to really go in and like enjoy them, which is why it goes back to this thing where I think that happiness and and disappointment or sadness are always relative things. Like they, at every single sort of like mini chapter, new problems arise. So in this particular case, like, you know, maybe I'm personally burnt out, but like we've gone to a point where, oh, you know, we can hire people. Like I'm actually really excited because for once I'm actually going to be working with people that I don't know personally. I haven't been working with for the last 10 years. They might be younger. They might be able to teach me something or they might have other alternative points of view. And like that is a new mini chapter that's afforded by the ability to hire. So I think that it's always this weird sort of like push pull. It, it's kind of like the most appropriate argument for us to make in this current discussion because it's basically like the rise of a market on like a stock market chart where it's like, hey, you go up and then you you have to pull back and then you and then you rise again, you pull back like. That's the only yeah. way you go forward. It's never in a straight linear line. Yeah. Um, I find happiness as a concept quite difficult to talk th- about. Yo, man, I think as you get older too, that's all you fucking care about. Like all these people like. Happiness? I think so. Okay, but I don't, I take issue with the word. I'm a, can, I say it like take issue, like this is controversial. I'm not certain about our use of the word happiness. I mean, any of those types of words are so subjective. What about enjoyable? So personal okay like I'm, I, it's okay if you use happiness i just can't say with confidence like i i don't know what happiness to eugene means like this is something that you have to determine for yourself right but i do agree with you that individuals hmm whatever that positive feeling is happiness joy satisfaction we call it you have to decide for yourself how much that is linked to a kind of financial success or fame, recognition, project success. Yeah. And it could be highly linked and it could be not so highly linked. And you have to know that for yourself. And I think that if you as an individual discover that actually my personal satisfaction does not come from financial success, but I continue to be chasing after it, then of course I'm going to be unhappy. Yeah. You know? All right, let me talk about something else on my list. The one that I think actually requires the most explaining and therefore might be the most interesting is why I included Virgil Abloh passing away and also Bell Hooks passing away. Okay, maybe the the second one, because I'm not familiar with the second person as much. I didn't think so, so I will tell you a little bit. Are you calling me uncultured? I'm not calling you uncultured. I just made it. I mean, it's like how last week I guessed that you want to know who George Saunders was. 
think I know you well enough. But also for listeners, I will explain who Virgil Abloh is. So this is fair. Right. Okay. I don't think Virgil Abloh needs much explanation in these circles. Give me 10 seconds. All right. Virgil Abloh, American fashion designer, artistic director of Louis Vuitton. Also founder, creator, CEO of Off-White, founded in 2013. Died at the end of November at the age of 41. And then I will also give the 10 second version of Bell Hooks, American author, professor, feminist, social activist. Uh, she was really well known for her writing about race, capitalism, gender, class domination, oppression. And she writes in such a way that is very easy to understand and are concepts that continue to be teaching people right now. Right. And she sadly passed away mid-December at the age of 69. And also, for the reference, both of these people were Black. And that's somewhat relevant because I was reading about these discussions of the death of Black thought leaders or cultural leaders and the sad effect that that has on an upcoming generation who thought that who see these people as a example of what they want to be or like what they can achieve and also people who are supporting them and when they passed i think i believe this is true i mean it's interesting when people pass away and there's like this hubbub online but for these two people in particular at least like the circles i was paying attention to there was a lot of genuine feeling about the impact that they had and i suppose what i was thinking about is not just specific to ablo and bell hooks but just this idea of as the creators you respect die where do you turn to or look to for examples and like new inspirations not new inspirations and i guess i just wanted to think about this idea that actually you can still continue to learn a lot after someone has passed away that you know ablo and bell hooks and everyone else not just this year but any year it's like important that you continue to read about what they've done or allow yourself to be influenced by what's been done rather than like needing to cling to the most contemporary current mm-hmm. a live trendy person does that make sense yeah as in like it is very sad that they passed away but also i believe that what's important is that people continue to look to the past oh for yeah, yeah influence rather than saying like okay like who's still alive oh, and i have to replace you to be like paying attention yeah. to to oh. be like lifting up or to be like inspired by like that that means like our collective cultural memories can only be as long as 70 years you know that's what i mean really was that like this idea that if you don't look to the past then we'll only ever be able to reference yeah about 70 years worth of culture yeah i do yeah there's something interesting about the past because it in many ways like creators artists the people that we look towards for inspiration their work is often a commentary on the present so i think that's what's interesting is that when you look back at 
you know, a Virgil Abloh, his work might feel derivative, but it is also representative of what was allowed. Maybe it was not allowed to be derivative, you know, 50 years ago and to be considered, oh, that's a ripoff. But then now it's like, oh, you know what? This is actually a byproduct of the Tumblr generation of, you know, reblogging something. So I, I, I think that's maybe the more interesting aspect of it is uh, what is like the, the second layer below just something that looks cool. Yeah. And I think also like my reflection is a critique of the glorification of the current where whatever is right in front of you, like the 30 under 30. Yeah. You know, like that type of ethos of like whatever is hot and shiny and new is there for like what we should be imitating. And I think it doesn't make sense to me when we have like such a wealth of like thousands of years of material to draw yeah. on to look at. I think the rest of mine are the other three of mine are basically new technology emerging entertainment perhaps we can talk about the emergence of discord from your list as well as the creation of unreal engine 5 in kind of the same category what part of that do you want to talk about well i'm just thinking that maybe the similarity is that these are specific products that we name checked like the only two that were you know proper nouns that a company made yeah i mean i think in, in terms of that it's why discord and not some other tech i mean i think it's because it's found a new way to connect people right especially in a point in time when a lot of the things that had risen from other movements now required a form of communication so we obviously started discord how many years ago two years ago not that long obviously predating a little bit all this other yeah. Like intense interest around it. But do you think Discord is kind of like Zoom where it was just there at the right time? Or does it have an actual functional advantage? I think the functional advantage of it is a little bit the design where you can just like pop in and out of different servers. And if you've never used Discord, it's similar to Slack in many, many ways. The difference is just like you're frictionless entry into other things whereas like obviously there's a lot more security with various various slack projects for me for unreal engine 5 i would say i mention it definitely for the functional difference like an actual technological difference that i don't see an equivalent out there of i don't see an equivalent competitor on I don't know if this requires a quick explanation. So it's a game engine that's been developed by Epic Games since 1998, which seems like a long time. Um, but its most recent iteration came out this year, and it is truly capable of things that nothing else is. Did you happen to see the Matrix Awakens experience? No. It is jaw-droppingly... Do you remember the... Um, metahumans that we talked about yep. yeah, way yeah, yeah, back yeah. in may okay like the that, effect of seeing that but on an even larger scale and applied to entire cityscapes and they recreated the beginnings of the matrix like the original matrix movie but with 
Unreal Engine, and people were unable to distinguish the difference. Interesting. And I just think it's really awesome. I would definitely be, I mean, we keep using a stock analogy. I'm very much bullish on Unreal Engine and Epic Games. Yeah. So that's my tech prediction for the future. Would you feel the same way about Discord? Or do you, for you, for Discord, is it just like tech in the right time, but could easily be replaced by a competitor? Discord might be its own undoing because of this lack of security. Mm. I think that's a big issue right now where a lot of hacks are. And you know what? It sucks because Epic Games and Unreal Engine is more a B2B product with, with less of a warranty or guarantee. When people start using Discord as a tool, as part of their business, there is certain levels of expectation around it that because Discord grows so fast, it still hasn't solved like certain things that are also might not be the fault of Discord, but the fault of the user. But because Discord didn't do enough, the issue lies with them. So an example would be most recently, let's say you're part of a project, they're going to release some NFTs. Uh, someone recognizes that you're part of that project and it's someone posing to be a moderator from that project's server message you, hey, I'll make something up. Like, hey, you know what? I know you, if you missed out on this opportunity, you can still claim it. Go here and send 0.2 ETH. And obviously it's, you know, a scam. So I think that that in itself might be the fault of the user, but because Discord didn't do enough to help protect people, it's on Discord and it's, reputational damage to discord i empathize with discord because they started out as just like voice chat for gamers never intending to enter this overly hyper financialized world they didn't even foresee that they were going to start becoming the refuge for people who were leaving slack like general interest groups and they adapted to that and then they got sort of like quickly overtaken by these financialization, DAO, crypto, et cetera, et cetera, groups. And so I think they they do a lot of catch up. Yeah. All right. So to wrap up, I thought you, you said only talk about three things. I feel like we've actually talked about plenty of them. I think the last thing of interest is the forced localization aspect because I did I didn't know how to wrap it up, but it's just like I've made a lot of peace this year with being in Hong Kong. And also being in Hong Kong long term. You know what I've described this as? For once, I think people are having this vibe of, oh, it's, oh, maybe the grass is actually greener on my side. <laughs> That's how I've looked at I it. I like that. But you need to coin some other phrase. I'm just saying, because I, I, it's so interesting, because in light of nationalism, that obviously is a very nationalistic vibe. Like, I remember, th this is obviously opening up a, we're opening up, you know, the the very corner of a, well, there's no corner on a, on a can is there, but it's more like a little, <laughs> there's a little, little opening in a can of worms We're where it's like, ba basically, basically people are like making fun of us We're in Hong Kong. a puncture in the lid of yes, the can. Yes, yes. But basically the conversation was like, oh, like, man, it's so draconian in Hong Kong. Like, man, how are you living there? How are you staying there? And then. You know, my friends in Canada, oh, hey, guys, New Year's Eve is canceled. No one's allowed to do anything. Like, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you know, yes, there, there's almost so much give and take. And like, it takes an incredible amount of like 
understanding of how the world works and even just like the the lives people live in different parts of the world, different socioeconomic levels to be like, actually, you know what? I understand what you're saying, but at the same time, like there's still some sort of stability where you are currently, if you know how to navigate it. And if you can psychologically, I mean, how do I put this? It's, it's obviously very difficult because like it's, there's, there's a level of like plasticity mm. to help you adapt. And I, it's tough because like, obviously people, you know, living in this part of the world, it's always like, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of, issues that people bring up around you know what's china doing but then again it's like it's it, it's so complex for i don't know i mean, i don't even know what, like there's things that i want to say but i probably wouldn't say it on on this podcast Eugene like, like started five different sentences yeah i was like i don't know where to finish a single one of them okay this is what, what i'll say i think for me this idea of localization is not just specific to Hong Kong, even though that is where we are located, but across the world, there are a lot of people who have stopped traveling and who have decided to stay put in one location. And I I do agree that whether you are able to thrive in these conditions does come down to a psychological approach because it's about whether you can embrace the physical place you are yeah, or if you feel really torn up about that and you can feel really torn about about that for political reasons or because you compare your country to another country or because your loved ones are somewhere else like there's many many different reasons like it doesn't just have to be political right but ultimately like for me i think yes on one hand there is that covid necessity of staying in place but also, I've decided that I don't just want to be here because I'm forced to be here, but I want to make the most of the location I'm in. Yeah. Like, that's exactly how I look at it. I mean, you had an opportunity, like, had COVID not happened, you might have been, you know, in yeah. the U.S. right now. I mean, theoretically, we both have the opportunity to leave. Yeah. And we're, we're very fortunate. And I think that maybe this is the... I mean, ultimately, the the thing that's most difficult is like everyone feels as though they're trying to like extract as much value and maybe leaving there is the opportunity for more value to be extracted from a new, you know, being in a new place. It depends on what this goes back to what you said about financialization. Happiness. Yeah. Like, well, what yeah, do you value? Extracting value is the worst thing. What do you value, though? Yeah. You know? Or you understand like, hey, you know what? I, I have a degree of understanding of my surroundings that allows me to potentially succeed. It's like access to the game's information, AKA the game being Hong Kong. Right. I don't, I don't think of my like coming to peace with where I am about success really, but I, I want to be attached to a place. Like I don't at this moment in my life, I don't want to move and make yeah. a readjustment and feel untethered to like the literal place that I am in. Like rather than looking at Hong Kong and thinking, wow, I was born here. I grew up here. I am bored and confined. Rather than seeing myself that way, I think I'm comfortable and confident where I am. And yeah. this gives me opportunities to do things and have relationships that I wouldn't have elsewhere. Yeah. I think that's pretty fair. I mean, 
Okay, so before we close out this episode and also this year, this is the sentimental part of me. Any well wishes for making it up listeners? Hopes and dreams for them. Say something nice. You know please. what? This is in reflection of what I want to achieve next year, and that's just to be more optimistic. Uh, and it's tough because optimism sometimes is not left to your own personal, you know, devices. Like there's things that are, that are around you that you cannot necessarily impact that will give you the, the vibe of optimism. But I think for me personally, like most of my professional career has been based around being critical of things. And like, it's, it's not that it's boring, but you know, someone said that you can sound smart being critical, but you make money or you're successful by being optimistic. Mm. And I'm not seeking that. I just want to have an alternative point of view on what happens if I approach things with optimism. And I think that for Mela and I, we're actually very different in that. And I'm super critical. I'm always the first to shit on something. And Malin is like, oh yeah, that's cool. Yeah. You know, that that could be cool. That could work. I'm like, mm, yeah, maybe it would work then. But then what then what then happens in month three when this happens? And then month six, like, I don't know. All right, optimism. Optimism. For me, I think I look at next year slash just the future. And what I have been thinking about is honesty and acceptance of being honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what I mean is that, you know, a lot of, I feel like I'm such a broken record, but a lot of students are very hard on themselves. I mean, a lot of young creatives are, slash Eugenia's an older creative, also very hard on himself. Maybe I should just say that people are very hard on themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the problem is that people think that they want things that they don't actually want. Yeah. They want things that they see other people have or other people are pursuing. And I I definitely fall into that trap too. And I have to be really honest with myself. Like, this is a dumb example, but just like, do I want to go out on a Saturday night to Taiwan to see Eugene or not? Like, maybe not. Maybe I'm just doing it for all of these other reasons that is not honestly what I'm looking for, right? But on a bigger level, this could be applied to like your job or a relationship or what else, whatever else you're making a choice on. And I think just like besides being honest with yourself about that, it's like accepting that this is how I am. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that, then you can feel a lot less of burdens. Mm-hmm. You don't feel as weighed down by like what you think your life ought to be. Yeah. All right. Wrapping things up for 2021. If you are interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at Macon.com. You can also subscribe to us to your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via patreon.com slash Macon. Patreon members get access to the Macon Discord, where we talk about episodes of Making It Up and everything else going on in global creative culture. Become a member and join us in those conversations. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.